0: All right. Hello, Hello. and welcome. Good morning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> welcome
0: to the March. Yeah, March. Thank mm-hmm. you. That's right. You know, sometimes we record these and it's for another month and yes. I give away all our secrets. Yes. Um, March edition of the Woodman Worship Podcast. So glad that you have joined us. We've got the normal crew.
1: And a British guest. Yes. <laughs> Hello. Apparently. <laughs> she's
0: just now revealing.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> I'm
2: sorry and you're welcome. <laughs> uh,
0: Carson, Casey, and we're super excited to have Cassie Campbell with us who is here for our bass workshop happening this evening. If you're listening to this, it's already happened. Sorry. Yes. But um, welcome, Cassie. Thank you so much. How many podcasts have you been on? Uh,
2: now it'll be two, including this one. <laughs> amazing <laughs> and which one's your favorite so far yeah. you know yeah. this one's a good one <laughs> yeah okay. I'm feeling, feeling well
0: thank you um so we're going to ask her a few questions a little bit later in this episode yeah and she's just gonna be hanging with us the whole time so mm-hmm. we're excited first things first though our normal on the radar segment things happening around woodman around worship production ministry um just wrapped up 24 Hours of Prayer last week as a church with a worship and prayer night. Very fun. It was so good. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so powerful.
1: Thank you guys yeah. all who were there. Yeah. It was amazing so. to pray with you all and to worship and to seek God together. It was really So
0: good. Really good. There are rumors we will be doing more, yes, more often. Yes, yes. But we will see. Um, what else? We have Easter in... <laughs> Five weeks. He's looking at his watch. <laughs> There's no yeah. date on the it. The watch didn't really help. <laughs> <laughs> but I looked down and it was. I looked down and it was March 10th. I was wondering like I could he's not do the, Does he have a calendar? That was gonna be real. That was gonna be a big ask <laughs> to try to do the math of how many days we were away from Easter. Um, <laughs> but it's coming up. It is coming up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> five weeks. Yeah. Five yeah. weeks. Yeah.
0: There's no water involved with Easter this no, year, no last year. No, no water. No.
1: Just straight resurrection. <laughs> just straight resurrection. Uh,
0: and Good Friday. Don't forget
3: about Good You're gonna Friday. We're going to stick to the script a little bit. Yeah. That's Not just, instead of flooding an auditorium.
0: That's yeah. right. <laughs> just, we'll tell you,
2: Do you about wanna, that in a yeah, little bit. So we'll <laughs> tell you about <laughs> <it>. <laughs> the inside scoop on this one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, anyway, Easter coming up. Really excited about that. Um, we, we were talking the other day with, uh, I think, the Rockerman band about just how excited we were about some of the new songs we've been doing and how well our congregation is engaging with them and how much fun they are to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can rest assured those will be played on Easter. Oh. I think. Mm. We've changed the Easter set a couple times. A couple times, times but already. Um, so I don't know. Firm Foundation was amazing this past week. So and uh, All Hail and Thousand Names. A lot of great stuff right now. Mm-hmm. And of course, God Who Speaks.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> also, yes. Also. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Cassie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't heard it yet, but I know. You, you full confidence. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <That's sexy>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, which, yeah, we played on uh, it's our second song we've ever released mm-hmm. from Woodwind Worship Original, written here. And we have the songwriter here joining us on the podcast right now, Casey. Shib- Shibboleth, um, yeah. al
1: yes yes.
0: Um, but yeah, we I think just such a cool song, especially for that prayer night. And a song we don't really have something like it in our library about listening to God and giving space um, to listen to God. Mm-hmm. So here's a clip of that.
1: through the shadows. Your word brings truth to lies. Your word will be my answer. It stands the test of time. Your word is strong and mighty. Brings me from death to life. It
0: Segment that you know and love. Uh, here's what we're listening to right now, Carson. You go first.
3: What we're listening to right now, yeah.
0: Uh,
3: this isn't because she's sitting here and played on the album. (laughs) I promise, I promise. It just happened (laughs) to just come out and it's very good, and our team likes it a lot. But Brooke, I might need your help with her last name, Lidgert Wood. Well done, thank you. Brooke Lizardwood's new album, Seven, is so good. Mm-hmm. It's so fun, like mm-hmm. musically super interesting, mm-hmm. um, lyrically really powerful. Mm-hmm. It's like a super group of worship mm-hmm. musicians, <laughs> and it shows, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, loving the album a ton, I think we all are. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a no-brainer.
1: What's your favorite song on it?
3: Favorite song, you mean besides communion with the bass intro? Yes. <laughs> Actually, communion might be it. Really, I, I do like that song. It's a, a good lot, song. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, all of them have their own kind of. Mm-hmm. It's a. It's like a journey of an album,
2: mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Cassie, what what did you enjoy most about being part of that project? Um, very hard to pinpoint one thing, but the honor. I mean, I have been a Brooke Fraser fan a uh, long, long time. So, mm-hmm. and there's always the you know when you get up close is are the hopes and expectations as true as you think they are. Mm -hmm. And without a doubt, um, just being present to that album and seeing how Brooke even just led that whole project, I'm just so um, impressed. And I came in a fan and I come out with way more respect than love uh, big time. So, but it really was clear that she, these songs were for the church, you Mm -hmm. know, so this wasn't, you know, her trying to do a solo art yeah. uh, expression, yeah, because she already has that hole and she's been rocking that uh, lane. But this was clear; like she had letters for the church that she felt was supposed to do. So yeah. I, mm-hmm. being a part of that, and uh, just even the Holy Spirit moments in the studio, and you know, when we came with the communion thing, it was kind of like we are all. It's I mean, it's already such a gorgeous song, yeah. and uh, so. The hardest thing for me was listening to these songs for the first time and then having to try and <laughs> you know, like I hope I don't mess it up. I yeah. hope I serve it the best way possible, but you know, and you just kinda try different things and we all just found ourselves, you know, weeping most of the time during that one. So um yeah. That's so that's really cool. Yeah. There's so many highlights.
1: Let's yeah. play a clip of that Maybe intro. That intro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
2: Communion, your body broke
3: the we drink is bitter sweet the gift of friends.
0: Something I've been listening to, and as a bonus, we are planning on introducing it to our church in post-Easter, mm-hmm. end of April. Right after. Yes. Yeah. Uh, off the new Elevation album, uh, the song called Same God, and it is... um, Man, I like it for a lot of reasons. Um, yeah. It kind of takes you through a journey of kind of the biblical narrative a little bit and calling to mind God's past faithfulness to kind of these biblical heroes that we know and love uh but then the chorus is super um uh reminds a lot of Lord I need you yeah. um kind of the same language of uh, of surrender and acknowledgement um that we need God to show up um and continue to be faithful in our lives and so mm-hmm. um yeah so it's a fresh lord I need you it's a fresh lord sure. I need you so excited about playing that one in our services so here's a clip
2: you are yeah. the same.
1: Off that same album, actually, uh, the new Elevation album, there's a song called Forever Yahweh that really just calls out the different names of God throughout the Bible, referencing his character and who he is, and then just you are worthy of all praise. And it reminds me a little bit of Great Are You Lord kind of exaltation feel, but it's just gorgeous and beautiful and so good to be able to to sing that out. So I've I've been loving listening to that.
0: As a bonus on that album, if you listen to the um the Chandler Moore song oh, no, yeah. one, no one yeah. and can figure out the timing of the <laughs> keys hook, please let me know because I spent spent like thirty minutes last night trying to count it. trying to count it. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I never felt confident. We will buy you a coffee at nineteen seventy nine yeah. if you can Maybe Cassie can help us with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be oh, a yeah. fun game. It's
2: crazy. It's crazy. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah.
3: Cassie, do you have anything that you're listening to lately that you're interested in? Worship, non-worship, anything, um, anything
2: that's inspiring you? or I, I would say on the more the mainstream side, uh, if you've never heard of her, the artist Yebba Smith is a gift of God in a vocal body, and she's just insane. Um, and so she did an album called Dawn, and then they recently just released a Live at the Electric Lady um, performance with video and it has like Quest Love on drums, Pino Palladino on bass. And it's just, it's, I mean, you're talking a super group. A great, real yeah. <laughs> and she, her vocals are just unreal. And so that has been a gift to my music. Mm. Musically, yeah. in particular that year,
3: um, That stands
2: out? Uh, I would, she does a cover of uh, John Mayer uh, in The Age of Worry. Um, mm. And, which is just so good and then um, Louie Bag is a, one that she does but it's just yeah cool the whole thing you can't go wrong yeah it's awesome let's play, play. alive in the age
3: of worry smile
0: Cassie a little bit, hear her story, um talk bass um since a lot of you listening may not play bass, but would be helpful to know um as you're in the band, working with the bass player, as you're running sound, um, listening for things um yeah, so I hope this is super um informative and encouraging to you all, so so do I yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's start by maybe talking a little bit about your story, like how did you become interested in playing bass? Um, how'd you come to know the Lord? Um, and a little, yeah, briefly kind of how you got where you are.
2: Yeah. Um, so as far as uh, I was saved um, in the bedroom of my mom's, uh, you know, at the house, and I remember opening the door to my heart, you know, at seven years old. Mm. Um, and And then... As you're still learning, I would go up for every ministry call, you know, to re-get saved just yes. in case. Of course. Yes. Of course. And then... Yeah. That's where my daughters are right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, totally. It's like, yeah. just going to make sure. Um, and then I also remember in first grade... Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, first grade, the teacher... I went to a private school for a little bit, and uh, she did that kind of you could die tomorrow speech. And so I remember... Does everyone want to get it? You want to get saved? So I just again raised my hand just in case. So the whole class raised their hand, and we got I got saved certificates. Uh, oh. You know, in the on oh. the class. Um, so just really had so that, you know that like landed. Yeah, just yeah. it really took. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, so and then there was some challenging times. I uh, far from the nuclear family type situation. So um, definitely had uh, those trying times, but um, there was a really significant um, move of the Lord in my town of Melbourne, Florida, when I was in a teenager. And so I walked into a meeting, very pessimistic and, you know, self-esteem below the floor and kind of just like, I don't know about all this. And, uh, then just encountered the Lord at that service. So I would say as far as experiencing him, 12, um, was for sure. And then it was a slow journey of trust and love and all of that. So, um, yeah, so that was, so around 12, um, I had already started to play music a little bit, so I was always, you know, always listening to music, always loved it, started playing keyboard a little bit, and then I started doing early morning strings program, fourth and fifth grade violin on a piece of, like, two pieces of cardboard that can, mm. you can make this thing sound good if you're a virtuoso, you know, it was just so <laughs> crappy, and so I did that for two years, and then sixth grade, they needed an upright bass player, and I always loved learning new instruments, and so... I was like, sweet, I'll try that. So I started doing Upright, and so I stayed with that through college. Um, So I'm your kind of quintessential orchestra dork band geek um, in that sense. And so I did the string side, but then also um, in junior high uh, learned trumpet and French horn. And so kind of did that. Um, So Monday through Friday, I was always typically doing classical music. Um, And then on the weekends, though, so... 12 start to go to this youth group and the story goes that uh they heard that i played bass and they're like you should bring your bass to church next week and uh well they don't know that (laughs) so i very take it i mean and again i'm just so awkward if i could describe to you my awkwardness of like i would give you two word answers uh literally just so insecure on every level And so, but I'm so matter of fact as well. So they're like, bring your bass. I'm like, all right, mom, I get home. We got to rent the upright from the school, put in the Subaru. We come next Sunday. I walk through the doors holding this big, huge, gigantuan instrument. And the youth leaders, their eyes, I mean, and I'm sure they're like biting their cheek, going like, don't laugh in her face. You (laughs) will crush her. You will crush her. So they don't know what to do with me. So they put me behind the worship leader who's sitting on a stool And I then tower over him with the upright, like, unplugged, like, no no one can hear me, looking over his shoulder. But because I read music, I'm like, they tell you the letter names? Like, this is cheating. You have C and F and G. You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, you're not even reading it. So I played that night. They could hear that I had good rhythm and, you know, uh, musicality. And so there's a church bass there. And um, so he just showed me that, you know, the strings. I'm like, oh, this is the same as the upright. So... So it took. And uh, so I would do on the weekends kind of your church band worship, you know, uh, stuff. And then on Monday through Friday, do more your classical. And so once I graduated high school, I went to Florida State University for college. I did music education, um, still principal uh, instrument, upright bass, and actually got to play in the professional symphony in Tallahassee. That was my I guess my first technical job. "Quote unquote," had um, to put in a W two and the whole deal, but um, and yeah, so it was a really sweet time. And then from there, I went to the House of Prayer in Kansas City, um, two thousand five. Um, I'd visited years before there and kept with a relationship, but moved there. And so, on the musical side, the biggest difference is it was so much spontaneous music. Mm-hmm. So I had college, which was like, here's the theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's like how it works, but you never were making your own decision. Right, you were always just mimicking yep. Mozart or Beethoven or whoever. But in at the House of Prayer, you show up. You they might tell you what key they're in. Uh, you might you got to figure out you know. And they're doing their version of that song. You know, like, and so. And you have this huge range of, you know, you could have a beginner to an intermediate to like an occasional advance, you know. So for the most part, you're just really learning how to adapt to moment by moment decisions. Um, So my ear really grew a ton because I had to actually like figure it out for myself. And then also you're moving the music according to what prayers are happening or what Bible passage we're reading or singing through. So did 10 years there. And then I moved to L.A. to go back to school and to try and get my master's, um, which I did three semesters. The school closed, unfortunately, but I was able to study with um, Abraham Laboriel Sr., which if you don't know who he is, he's just one of your most legendary, uh, most recorded session bass player of our generation, and he loves the Lord deeply. He's he's a kind, kind man. Um, So I studied with him for some time while traveling um, and working with different uh, worship folks that are dear friends. And now I'm at a ministry in Santa Maria, California. And it's basically a healing room and a prayer room together. And some of my old IHOP friends are there now. So that's that's up to speed. Here we are. That's
3: awesome. Well, um, I know you get to play with a lot of different artists, Mm -hmm. which is sweet, and a lot of different uh, contexts and Mm -hmm. environments. And um, we talk a lot on the podcast about how people prepare for a set Mm -hmm. and like having a good method of preparation so the set is sent to you Mm -hmm. uh you should have like a this is where I start Mm -hmm. and then this is where I end up and this is how I prepare Uh, pretty consistently ideally um and so I'd be curious to hear as someone who gets to play in a lot of different contexts Mm -hmm. do you have a method of preparation that Mm -hmm. you kind of live by has kind of been true and yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. Um yeah, it's it's evolved over the years, obviously, I think according to context, expectation, um, you know, uh but for the most part, especially now even with the the content, the amount of intake and songs to learn, um, and sometimes you get a a call and you got to learn it over, you know, you're on the plane and and hopefully you're ready by the time it's, you know, ready to go. Mm. So, for me, um I my foolproof uh, I know I will always be able to serve whoever I'm going to is um, I always make my own charts. Mm. That is, I never don't make my own chart. So when I do that, I am learning and studying the song in a way. Because even if, you know, they were giving me the charts, it tells me nothing about my specific role besides mm. here's the chords, hopefully. right, And that's depending on what kind of chart you get and how thorough it is and all that kind of stuff. But it's not giving me any information according to my specific instrument. And so my rule of thumb is I always, I sit with the song, I write out the arrangement and the chords, one pass through, then I come back to the top and I re-listen specifically with my bass part in mind. I'm like, when do I come in? When do I get out? What tone am I? Am I aggressive? Am I soft? Am I high? Am I low? Like, I have a checklist that I kind of go through um, and we'll, d- we'll talk about that tonight. Those that have already been to the bass workshop know what I'm talking about. Or we filmed it and, <laughs> and it's on uh, the uh, has been filmed. And yes. a- add nausea again. Yes. <laughs> um So I just have a checklist and I go through that. So even if, say, it's a last-minute gig and I, you know, only had time on the plane to listen, I have these charts that I can reference. Mm -hmm. Um, And the pro to that also is once you have it, you always have it. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I hear kind of a little pushback of like, well, you know, you prep for 10 and they only do four, you know. But I have had times where I've made the chart – Two years later, they're like, hey, do you know this song? I'm like, I don't know if I know this song. And I look in my, you know, catalog, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got it. Ready to go. I might not even remember how it goes, but I have set myself up for success because now I can look at my chart and go, okay, I come in here and I'm doing eighth notes there. I'm doing whole notes here. Mm. You know, um, I'm doing my, my sound is round. My sound is aggressive. You know, there's different, you know, Mm. things. So, so for me, that is my personal responsibility. And it depends on the, on the event and how much time I have the detail of what that is. And if I can memorize it, memorizing is always the ideal. Certain situations don't um, necessarily give you the opportunity but um, once I make my chart, if I can memorize it, I you know, I process where I'll play it once through looking at the chart and then I'll take the chart away and try and do it by ear. Um, and, and you're charting numbers. I'm charting numbers. Yeah. For sure, because that it crosses over, you know, um, different keys and you have guy key, girl key, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um And then I try to just keep it in my hands And especially if I'm working with an artist consistently It's like, might as well just kind of refresh it And have it, you know, just run through the songs Occasionally, you know, mm-hmm. uh, leading up to it But, um yeah, so Like, even for Brooks thing I charted everything out specifically And then Um, then I would do passes where I would just actually play with the drums Mm. and I would make myself like, you know, Mm -hmm. take away the bass part that Mm. we did pre-pro on and actually just like recreate that. So, um, yeah. So practice, you can't, you can't, uh, make up for that any other way, but even if I can't put my hands to my instrument, if I make a detailed chart, um, I'm, will always be ready to go. Mm. So that is that's that is foolproof for me yeah it's awesome
1: yeah awesome well you just mentioned it and it's a great segue to our next question but how do you view your role in the band Mm. especially your relationship with the drummer Mm -hmm. um when you come into a band and i know that you're coming into a lot of different bands some of them are super full bands some of them are three-piece bands so like when you're coming in what are you what are you looking to, what role are you looking to play? What space are you looking to fill as you walk in there?
2: Great question. Uh, Again, context is everything, but um, I try to always, so the bass holds this unique space of you are crossing over the rhythmic uh, territory with the harmonic and musical. And Mm so, um, so there's times where, you're really sitting in strong rhythmically mm. and not doing a ton melodically or, yeah. you know, note wise. It's literally you're just sitting on one note doing eighths yep. um, or you're locked into a, a groove really tight with the drummer. There's other times where you're the one that's more busy doing a lot more of the the rhythmic and a lot of movement. And the drummer is just really steady. You know, mm. like all Michael Jackson tunes is basically bass riff yeah. with the drums going one two. Three, four. It's like kick, snare, kick, snare, and there's so much groove. Exactly, sing it, girl. You know, (laughs) so the bass is driving that part, and it's all over one chord, really. You know, it's like it's just you're on a minor, and he's just chilling, and he's doing the movement while the drums are stupid simple. And then there's other times where the drums are more complex, and then the bass is more open. So there's times. So the drum bass relationship, there's always these. Traditionally, when you're starting, it's really great to go, you play what the kick does. Like, it's just a great starting point of going. Let's, like, practice being consistent with that. And then there's times we kind of grow into where it's just a complementary role, where, like, you touch certain ones, but you don't touch all of them, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I can reference different songs. There's a a John Foreman song, I think Switchfoot, uh, where literally the bass and the drums don't touch one time. Really? And it's like the bass is moving all these different ways and the drums, you know, and, but it works because the drums are more of this consistent groove and the bass is just kind of moving around it. And you, when I'm explaining it, you would be like, that doesn't work. But when you hear it, you're like, that actually really works, you know? Hmm. So, um yeah, so I think it's being aware always and then knowing when it's time to be tight, knowing when it's to be open. The tricks of so coming to a scenario, say I prepared to the nines mm-hmm. and we're doing what a beautiful name and it gets to that last chorus after the bridge. Yeah. I have played with so many different drummers where the interpretation of what that kick pattern is is so much different, you know? And so I can be like, no, you got to do the exact kick pattern that I prep prepped for. Or in this scenario, like what, you know, start to follow them. And then when they hear that you're following them, they're like, is that the right, you know, like yeah. having that space of like for right now is the juice worth the squeeze of trying to like hit back to the original thing or is it like, how can we just be tight? What's the best us we can be in this moment, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and then there's other times where it's just musically not working and it's, and it's helpful to bring it up being like, Hey, I'm not sure we're locked in on the end. Like, what are you doing? always ask questions for it. Is this the best way to communicate? Hey, what are you doing for the end of the part? Okay if we're referencing that one, I've got this one down, but if we're adjusting it, just let me know and I can, you know, so just having those types of conversations. Yeah. Um, so it's a really important relationship, obviously. Um, and it gets really fun when you even know what the other person's part is, even if you're not doing the exact part, you know? And so sometimes I'll even make notes in my chart of when the drums do certain things Mm. so Mm. that I know that, you know, I'm, I'm, we're we're doing it right, but it might be different than my part. But at least I know, okay. Like we're we're complimenting each other, yeah. and then sometimes if I MD, which I do sometimes, I'm able to help. Hey, I think this snare is supposed to be, you know, you know here or whatever. Mm. So, um, yes, that is. There's more. There's a, that's an endless conversation. But every style is different. Every room is different. You have to play to the room. Um, if I'm playing with the predominantly gospel artist, like. I'm going to be so much more busy than I am playing with a singer-songwriter artist, you mm. know. And so it's having the skill set, hopefully, in the tool belt to be able to acclimate to whatever scenario that is, mm. um, and that there's not really a right as long as it's trying to serve the style, yeah, mm. and the context. awesome.
0: Speaking of style and context, and playing with lots of different artists and genres, um, you know, sometimes we hear the complaint not usually from not usually from our team but that worship but sometimes you 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 heard that it was implied right (laughs) (laughs) but that that the worship genre can be a little boring Mm -hmm. there's the same four chords or Mm -hmm. you know repetitive, repetitive sure yeah um and for you who's Studied lots of different types of music and played lots of different types of music. What do you see? How do you view mm. worship? How do you stay inspired? Mm-hmm. Um, and how would yeah? How would you respond to someone who would be like, "Ah, worship's kind of boring. I prefer other styles." You know?
2: Sure. I I mean, I think when you try to make one thing everything, you're failing already. And uh, so, um, also, it worship as a genre is just a philosophical discussion in and of itself Mm -hmm. because, you know, how many genres are under worship. Truly, if we go worldwide from Africa to Ireland, you know, it's like if you go to their worship service, it's going to sound very different than us U.S. folks. Um, And even in the U.S., there's so many different uh, sounds and contexts. So, um, yeah. So I think, one, as a musician, I hear the frustration if this is their only – musical outlet Hmm. if they don't ever go beyond you know a sunday morning service and they're trying to put all of their creative energy into this one thing which is isn't even their own it's not their name it's not their you know uh their personal artistic expression it is a gathering of you know believers together to Mm -hmm. worship the lord so i think already there's a question to ask of that you know what are you trying to make that be yeah as well as um You know, pop music is pop because it is predictable and, and, um, you know, catchy and and there's hooks and, you know, Coldplay uses the same chords in so many of the songs. They might throw in a minor four every once in a while or, you know, they might just (laughs) like an odd meter timing things. But for the most part, you're going to hear stuff. And so how they, uh, it's about the details. So I think a lot Mm -hmm. of, if we were to call the worship genre, it's a lot of kind of the uh, modern pop UK influence and as well as, you know, here. And then, but you get beyond, and there's different genres, but I'd say right now uh, the most often is in the way of Coldplay and U2 and, you know, getting a little bit more in the maybe Chainsmokers world too, you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, and I also, so all that said, it's like serving the song. So if people have spent time creating this sound and energy and here's the tone for this and da-da-da, it's like learn it first and try it on. Mm -hmm. And then for your community, sometimes that big arrangement doesn't make sense, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I know a a group, the worship initiative with Shane Bernard, their whole aim is to make it where it's doable for a, you know, a service that might not have the stems and the, you know, the whole deal. And, um, So how do you make it make sense for your community, for your group, for the musicians that you have, for the vocalists you have, you know, because some songs are like these powerhouse vocal songs. And you've got this little (laughs) sweetest songbird, you know, tone girl (laughs) trying to like just be a freaking, you know, Carrie Job, And it's like, and the pressure of that, you know. So how do we make it make sense for them, you know. Totally. So all of it is, I think... We lose nuance in in, uh, the details and the specifics if we try to just go, okay, we have to make it this big thing all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And as well, the fun of a lot of these songs is the arrangements and when certain things are introduced and when they're taken out, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then I would say the personal artistry and the creativeness – comes in those spontaneous moments depending on your environment and different churches are different, you know, things that they do. But, you know, if it's an all worship night, you know, those in between moments and how does that, you know, yeah. but still you're bound to one another. You're bound to what the Holy spirit saying, where if you're in your room producing a track, it's like, go for it, like do, that's what I love, I mean, about Brooke is like she had a, uh, she has a full artistry that, you know, has given herself to, but then also has a full love for the church, and and she's very clear on those roles, you Mm -hmm. know, and not trying to make one the other, Mm -hmm. so if you're putting all your musical energy and artistry in the Sunday morning basket, you will be frustrated, Mm -hmm. but if you put it of going, how can I embrace this for what it's supposed to be, and make it the best possible, you know, sound, um, you can really fall in love with it. Mm -hmm. So
1: that's a great, great. that's a really great word. Mm
3: -hmm. Um, another important relationship in the live context that maybe isn't talked about enough is the stage Mm -hmm. musician and front of house Mm -hmm. relationship.
2: Oh yeah. Crucial.
3: Very crucial. Yeah. But I know there's you know there can be a tendency for those to be yeah you know kind of divided mm-hmm. um in your experience uh what are some ways to cultivate a positive relationship with front of house or cultivate like yeah. a uh yeah just cultivate a good relationship
2: great question uh I'll I'll set the table first in the sense – and I'm going to use very stereotypical language, which I hate, but uh, it's the best I can do for the moment and the time constraints. But I would say very typically sound and tech guys are overlooked – unappreciated, mm-hmm. and only notice when something goes wrong. Mm. Hi. Um, We've got a bunch of people listening yes, right now just yes. yelling amen. amen. <laughs> um, and when it goes smoothly, it's like no one thinks twice about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so also I would say if you're in that field, typically you have a very uh, head-forward um, gifting where you're very thoughtful regarding technical sides and numbers and mm. uh, frequencies and K, you know, mm. 2K and you know all that. It's like they are very... Um, mind forward mm-hmm. and i have experienced sometimes the the emotional cue get that sneeze out almost oh my gosh, it's like so she close. had a <laughs> yeah. so are you stopped I, <laughs> yes <Wow. laughs> um so, and this is not always, so hear me, but a lot of times if you're very, you know, uh, more of a critical thinker, sometimes the emotional intelligence side can be a little bit lower as far as the nuances of the emotional. And and then, um, so that's not always, but oftentimes it's like, okay, uh, numbers and statistics and yeah. uh, troubleshooting, that's the strength. Hmm. And then the the understanding of like, you know, how to say something more tactfully or, you know, understanding the emotions that go for a sound check for a musician, you know, sometimes that's a little bit lower. So flip it all the way over to the worship leaders and musicians. You got to mostly, not always, heart forward people, very <laughs> emotional and every, wear, wear it on their sleeve. And they've just spent all this time emoting. And this guy comes up and says, hey, can you take out a little bit of the two? You're like, what? I just, you know, it's just so burst that bubble of experience and emotion. You know, it's just like yeah. they it, sometimes it, you know, shakes them a little bit. Um, but. And typically in that world, not always, they're not as good with like the you know uh, vocalist dial- like being you know aware of the mic placement or the you know the bass player has all of the lows up because it feels so good. And it's like I'm sorry, I just can't tell what you're playing. It's not clear. It's just it, but no yeah, we feel it. But we don't know what you're doing. Um, so like, so all of those things are at are uh, dynamics and on the spectrum. Let's say so the value of you know i always sound guys always say really they're they're only trying the less they have to do is the better and so if you're coming with dialed in tone and coming in with your parts like landed even the arrangements help the sound guy not struggle with, you know, okay, everyone's in the playing in the same mid, mid frequency. Mm. He's got to scoop out, got to, who's going to suffer. Is it going to be electric guitars? it going to be the piano. Like who's going to take that? Mm. Um, As opposed to when parts are there and the arrangements there, he can actually like have the full broad spectrum of the frequencies and placement, um so to have those ears because on the stage you it can feel good to you but you're not listening to how it's translating and so having that open communication as a bass player like hey you know there's times if i go to a new place they're the guys that know their system the best and da, 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 um i might over time kind of realize uh we might have more understanding of the tech side than maybe they do, but you know you're then you're trying to make it work the best way possible and all of those things. Or you know you come in and you're like, man, you're really dialed. Tell me if I'm could be better somewhere, you know. And so having that open line of communication. All that said, sound guys can uh, hear what we can't because they're seeing, they're hearing it at the front of house, mm-hmm. and they're uh, they're the mo- one of the most valuable people because you could be rocking oh. your part. But if it's not translating out there, that doesn't matter, you know? Um, and how it all fits together is what's going to affect the congregation, you know, the best way possible. So, um, but I have also seen the other side where it's like really brilliant tech guy, really great ear, but just coming in hot and aggressive and not really uh, kind and thoughtful. And um, even though the information is good, the way it's translating is a little bit harder to take. Um, and so... Uh, everyone has places to grow but I think the relationship is really important and it makes for just the most in professional settings it's like you know everyone's looking to outserve each other there's not the there's the more professional you get there's less of my territory and more of how can we do this together which is surprising you would think it's the other way around and sometimes there are those you know ego forward places but for the most part it's like you know you plug in and they're like, man, I'm just, I'm loving your sound. Awesome. Is, let me know if I can do anything different. Or, or the sound guy takes it on himself. Like, if I make more than three tweaks in my ears, he's like, hey, can I just listen to your mix real quick? And, you know, like... It, he takes it on, or she takes it on, as the most important for them to translate that the best way possible. So, huh. if you try to outserve each other, it will always win. Mm-hmm. If you fight for your thing, usually you're always going to be at an impasse. Um, and and in that, there's honest conversations. It's not being nice for nice sake and never having those, you know, conversations. Sure. But also record your sets, everyone sit in the room, listen to the playback. I mean, Mm, all that kind of stuff, like those honest, like moments, uh, help everyone to, you know, get better and and do better. Same team, same team. team.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's what we've been hearing from a lot of our different workshops that we've had Mm -hmm. is how important listening to everyone else Mm -hmm. and how important it is how important it is to listen to everyone else and to understand how you fit together. Right. Um, And that's exactly what I'm hearing you say at, on a professional level. I Mm -hmm. think everyone just values that so much. And so what a great reminder to us. Like that's, that's the goal. Mm -hmm. That is the goal Mm -hmm. Um, is to work together as the body of Christ. Yeah. Because somebody designed that very intentionally Mm -hmm. and probably knew what they were doing.
2: Yes, absolutely. And at the end of the day, it's like, for that team, that day, what's the best us we can be? Yeah. You yeah. Know? And it takes the meanness out of it yeah. and it puts it with everybody. But the meanness is important. I want to bring all the things yes. that I can. But in that setting, in that room, that day, I might need to tweak my tone just to acclimate to what's going on with the kit and the, you know, electric guitar and whatever. And yeah. so being open to that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
3: Cool. Well, just to wrap up here. Mm. On uh, a lighter note. My favorite question to yes. ask. You've spent a lot of time on stages. Yeah. And uh, that comes with its moments of glory mm. and moments of pure embarrassment. Mm. <laughs> and uh, would that love Carson to Carson
0: experienced on Friday, by the way.
3: Yeah, oh, anyone yeah. who is at the... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, should, should we flip this? Uh,
2: Carson goes first in the...
3: There's a fine line between embarrassment uh, and opportunity, I, uh, find, I, see. Yeah, I if see. you watch the clip from Friday. <laughs> Maybe oh, we can uh, just play the audio real quick, too. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. I stepped on the cable. What? Yeah, what is an embarrassing moment that comes to mind for you?
2: You know, so I I mean, we've we've all had we make mistakes on stage, like come in in the wrong key, mm-hmm. you forgot you were down tuned, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> so there's that I was racking my brain, I was trying to think of like embarrassing on-stage moments. I've had like collective things, where just weird things happen. Mm-hmm. It's just the gamut. But I'm trying to think of personal embarrassment. I've had more, like, at sound checks than I have, like, on stage, mm. which sounds very <laughs> random. But, yeah. Um, so there was one time I was at a sound check. I was with Misty uh the House of Prayer. We were at the main stage. And I had just gotten some new Rainbow flip-flops, yeah. and I hadn't quite broken them in just yet. Um, and, you know, us guitar players are always down messing with our pedals and doing stuff. So I didn't quite... Land like I didn't predict what was about to happen, but I bent down and like somehow my equilibrium got thrown off. So I'm bent down, like kind of in a squatting position, and then all of a sudden, where I thought the flip flops would give, they did not. So then they were just stiff as a board, which then kicked me backwards. So I'm starting to realize, oh, I'm going down, like this is happening. Uh and I have my bass on me. So your first oh, thought as no. any good musician is protect bass at all right. costs, not your own body. Right. So I literally <laughs> just like fly backwards, bass on my stomach, I'm holding it, and then my legs just kick out. <laughs> and so and and everyone, like, just all they see is just feet in the air <laughs> <laughs> and flip-flops up, you know, those rainbows that were the culprit of why that happened in the oh first my place gosh. and fully just out and fell and had nothing to say. It was, like, in one way, very anticlimactic because it made no sense that that just happened, you know. <laughs> um, but I can't think of anyone who's literally just fallen just over a dirty <laughs> Just Just fell. <laughs> And you look I've over you're like I hear a bump and it's just literally like two legs in the air That's with amazing. like my flip flops so like dangling. Funny. So, that was that was a good one. That was real real precious. That's really good. That yeah.
1: Cool. That's, That's cool. amazing.
2: Thank you for I'm trusting us with yeah. that. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So and all of our listeners. <laughs> yeah. <You> and <laughs> anyone else there who happens So just break in them. your rainbows before right. you actually take them to the Hashtag stage. Hashtag break in your rainbows. There right. it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 From, from California a girl. <laughs> Ooh. There's not a lot, of, not a lot of rainbows in Colorado. No. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: Awesome. I think that's it. The
3: Workshop is tonight. So if you're listening to this, you missed it. The workshop was awesome. It was amazing.
2: It was so good.
3: Let's hope. If you want to, bass player or not, if you want to watch the workshop, we have it available online. Uh, You can reach out to one of your worship leaders. We're hoping to have a spot online where all these can be available. But right now we have it and you can reach out to someone on staff to send it your way. And keys players, we've got one locked in for you coming May 12th. 12th. Got Eddie Hoagland. And if you don't know who that is, he was with uh vertical worship for I mean it's gotta be a decade. He did like five yeah. albums with him. Um yeah, MD, producer, songwriter, wrote Yes I Will. Um and now he's at New Life Church here in town. So local friend that we get to bring over and he's gonna do a keys workshop and it should be awesome. Yeah. So excited to have him. Super cool. But yeah, Cassie, thanks for yeah. being with Thank us. Thanks for having me.
2: So sweet. So yeah. fun.
3: We'll see you next month.
1: All right, bye.